If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Swedish-British journalist, filmmaker, political writer, and author of five books, Helen Neuroth-Taylor, on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome to my show, PNT on TNT, as they say, um, the where the truth prevails and freedom reigns. Um, I did enjoy those uh, those shots of the European Union being spattered with manure. If only the, uh, the farmers and the normal people of Europe uh, would make their presence known among the Eurocrats who are often quite removed from reality. God knows I've walked among those, uh, those gloomy passages and alleys and roads of the European quarter in Brussels many times, marveling at the emptiness and the remoteness from ordinary life of Belgians and other Europeans. Anyway, uh, now on to a much more sober topic, which is uh, World War Three. Now, uh, Today will be known as the day when World War III was announced, or it will just uh, disappear into uh, the the news files. Um, It's quite a serious moment, uh, but there have been some promising developments in this morning. Uh, The the latest war scare, I should say, started with uh, the announcement yesterday by uh, Emmanuel Macron, the uh, uh, financier turned French president, who said that... uh, several nations were considering sending troops to Ukraine. And that has been a no-no so far, because it would mean uh, World War Three, which could end with, I mean, all our lives being completely upended. You know, you'd see trucks in the streets, we'd have, we'd have food shortages, and that's at the very best. Uh, we'd have conscription, we'd have uh, no travel. I mean, just imagine everything you can connect to a to war. And that's if we don't go to nuclear war. I mean, it's potentially one of the most serious moments in, in, in modern European history. And uh, Emmanuel Macron said sort of, uh, well, you know, it's it's a it can't be off the table in the sort of language very reminiscent of what was used by the British and Americans before they uh, went into Iraq, a sort of boil the frog type language. We get used to the idea and then next time it'll become inevitable. He didn't say a time frame. He said that uh, some nations didn't want to do it. He'd convened uh, about 20 national leaders from Europe. Background is that America has shown uh, a lack of interest in Ukraine recently and the funding is down. So the Ukrainians are Ukrainians are pulling back and uh, Russia scored recently a very big victory in the town of Adivka, which is said to be one of the most fortified towns in the areas that the Ukrainians still hold and that the territory up to the river Dnipro is now open for Russian advances, and they're said to be advancing on all fronts due to lack of ammunition and an aging Ukrainian conscript population, untrained and unwilling to fight. Uh, and uh, the European elites, NATO elites, can't drop this topic. And um, um, Macron was very belligerent indeed, saying that we cannot allow uh, a as peaceful resolution to this. We must end with Russia's defeat. Not a single word of diplomacy. And our man inside the council chamber, not really, but I mean, the guy who says it as it is, uh, re- sort of reports what's been going on. Robert Fico, the uh, pacifist or anti-war uh, prime minister of Slovakia said, all the talk inside was of war. No one talked about peace. Now, <clears throat> uh, the the comment about uh, sending troops to Ukraine was seconded by the very youthful prime minister, unelected uh, by Macron, the British, have held their fire, which I think is very suspect. I think uh, there's a close connection between the two former bankers, 
Sunak and Macron are the same age and similarly lacking in any experience whatsoever of war. And the British have sounded out the possibility of send it, sending in troops before and they're known as the most hawkish member of the alliance. Whereas uh, Macron, surprisingly enough, has been very cautious in the past, which means that his his conversion is a, is a surprise late move. I think the French are almost at the bottom of the list when it comes to donations of money and equipment to Ukraine. No doubt it's been coordinated with the British. I don't think the French would have done it with at least one big ally. So does this mean World War Three? Because the Kremlin's official spokesman said that if NATO puts official troops into the Ukraine, um, we're not talking about uh, mercenaries have been there for months, but then, then it will be war. And of course, it could be a nuclear war. And the Russians have hypersonic missiles that could knock out Downing Street in, ma- in minutes. I mean, this is very serious, even with a conventional explosive. Um, but there's been some rowback on the wires today. The the Poles, who I always thought were quite hawkish, said, no, we're not sending troops in. We're not going to be part of this. Uh, the Germans uh, said no. The Hungarians, we knew. The Slovaks, no. The Swedes, who are also disappointingly hawkish, said no. The Czechs, also quite hawkish, usually no. Uh, Stoltenberg, the head of NATO, said, no, we're not sending in NATO troops. The Americans have said no. We're not going to send in American troops and we're not going to send in NATO troops. Now, when Stoltenberg says NATO troops, does that mean people f- flying the NATO flag or does he allow for the possibility that individual countries will send in troops, which is worrying enough because then it'll still escalate. But um, Schultz, the German chancellor, uh, seemed to put a nail in the coffin of the, the Macron statement by saying that actually what was discussed yesterday was as the position we've always had, which is no troops from NATO and no troops from European countries, from any European country, will go to Ukraine. And that's what, so he's saying definitely, just we won't have Germany, German support, and Germany is the most powerful country in Europe. And then uh, the British uh, remain, though, as this the silent member of this, uh, this discussion. So we have to see what Sunak says. Uh, it's all a bit like Suez to, to me, the British and the French, uh, the hawkish, most uh, the old empires, as it were, went into Suez in 1956 and then were pulled back by the Americans. Um, and that was a huge loss of prestige for them. We'll see what happens when Sunak has had his say, but uh, it seems like quite a lot of European countries don't want to go on with this Macron gambit. And so it's good news for the moment. And uh, the Telegraph and the Guardian have gone big on this headlines with about World War Three if uh, Europe goes in. So if anyone has any, any doubt, this is going to happen. And I think that I expect there to be a lot of pushback from British and European opinion, because although people support Ukraine, they do not want to go into a global war, which leads me to this conspiratorial thought that is Macron trying to flush out supporters of war who were hoping to sneak troops into Ukraine and then create a fait accompli, because he certainly put it on the agenda. He's been quite pacific so far, and maybe he wants to say, stand up and be counted, Brits, if you want a war. You have to say so to your publics, and now it's the cat's out of the bag and it's all in the open. Anyway, this is a story we'll be following very closely, and it coincides with another interesting news, the final accession of Sweden to NATO yesterday with the signing of a treaty in Budapest, which uh, Basil Valentine will talk to us about uh, quickly after the break. This is TNT Radio. There's a lot going on, so it's important to stay informed and up to date. Get ready, because here we go. At the top, 30 minutes past and when it breaks. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome, Basil Valentine, our news producer, who's got uh, some other news of the day 
also NATO related. What's going on? Yes. Uh, well, um, further to what you were saying in the march to World War Three, just this morning, General Sir Richard Barons has warned that the UK armed forces are so small in terms of equipment, so undertrained, so badly supported in terms of stocks and engineering, that he has backed calls for conscription to be added to Britain's arsenal of options to repel a potential Russian attack. Mm. Uh, I don't know where people like him get the idea that Russia is going to attack. This is the really bizarre you know, thing about this. Mm. Uh, the Royal mm. Air Force and Navy are wafer thin, he said, while the UK's land forces are even in even worse state. Now, that may very well be the case, uh, but who is it exactly we are supposed to be getting ready to fight at the moment? And besides, yeah. we now have the uh, support of Sweden. And as we know, an attack on one NATO country is an attack on all of them. Sweden mm. submitted its application to join NATO just in May 2022. And it seems as though at times Stockholm might be left hanging. But suddenly they've been given the green light with the yes from uh, Turkey and then subsequently Hungary, the last two sticking points. And hey, presto, Sweden has lost its decades or is it centuries old neutrality, Pelly? And uh, has uh, now 200 joined... years, 200 years of neutrality. There you yeah. go. Uh, and has now joined the uh, Western Alliance, the increasingly aggressive Western Alliance. Well, I mean, it, it's an incredibly foolish decision uh, to my mind, and I've uh, covered it quite a lot on this show. Uh, and I've talked to the main um, NATO opponents in Sweden who are sort of men in their 70s, not kidding, uh, and their internet connections have broken down and things like that. I mean, the, I, I'd say it's almost like a, the, the, the resistance has been non-existent. Um, some constitutional scholars have argued that uh, Sweden has broken its constitution by failing to have a referendum on this topic. Right. And uh, it was just a simple vote of parliament. And I think they needed two votes uh, in successive parliaments and they didn't do that. But he has all the arguments. But those arguments are kind of tucked away in articles that are very difficult to understand, which are written in legalese. But there's almost no popular movement against NATO that I've seen. I mean, the papers are full on wall propaganda and, and lies, basically, and exaggerations and God knows. I mean, um, and um, uh, but uh, so I was very gratified uh, that uh, Sweden has said, said categorically they're not going to send troops into into Ukraine because I, I was sort of thinking, well, if they've gone this far, they're going to take one step further. And I think the Brits and the Americans are maybe counting on Sweden to be, a, and maybe many Swedes themselves are looking to Sweden to become a, a sort of fortress uh, because it's like it's it's sort of an aircraft carrier in the sense that there's a sea between it and Russia, and yet it's quite low. And Gotland is this island in the middle of the Baltic, which is now probably going to be turned into sort of hedgehog and airbase uh, from which one could attack St. Petersburg and the Baltic states and so on. And many Swedes look forward to this because. They're such a wimps, you know, many of them, that they haven't fought a war and they're looking for it as a test of masculinity. Swedish history is replete with the Swedish wars on uh, Ukraine and uh, Russia. Ukraine has been a, an ally of Sweden or the, the territory of Ukraine, the Cossacks or whatever. So it's just part of the Swedish hidden identity, which is now being unearthed, uh, which but after 200 years of peace have, have not 
been able to quash this. I mean, there's a sort of right wingers sitting in Stockholm now, raising their glasses of punch, sitting on their verandas and thinking that they're Edwardian figures. I mean, the fantasists have said no one in European living memory knows what a real war is like, and the Swedes even less so. And uh, people live in fantasies, I think, you know, watch too many war movies. They look up to the Brits mm. who've kind of colonized the, the parts of the Swedish deep state, you know, lots of advisors on hand to help the, guide the Swedes in their role. And I think young Swedish men have watched too many British war movies and they want, I want to be like that, you know, it's pathetic. It's really pathetic. So we'll see, you know. Um, uh, Emma Rosengren, a research fellow at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs, uh, which by the sounds of it is uh, allied to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Chatham House, I might be wrong, said Sweden would probably serve as a logistical hub for defence planning, including mm. transportation of personnel and material to an imagined future war front. So yes, mm. the sort of giant aircraft carrier uh, would appear to be the case. For months, apparently, Sweden had been preparing for this, and uh, it has given the United States full access to 17 of its military bases and even announced plans to set plans to send forces to Latvia. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I, we, as I said on my show before, uh, I live near uh, Sweden's largest air base and helicopters. Uh, you hear helicopter sounds all day and night for months, actually. And the uh, oh, training yeah. sounds of uh, jets. I mean, there's, uh, they, they're hoping to sell a lot of the Swedish Gripen jet, which is, uh, the Gripen is a Saab. A Saab obviously is known for its cars, but it's also a defense contractor. And I think uh, the defense contractors have been pushing much, very much for Swedish NATO membership. And there's a lot of dealing and wheeling and dealing with Turkey and Hungary. And, and uh, the, the Americans are going to extend, may, maybe buy Swedish equipment and so on. And, and behind the Swedish defense industry, war industry, I don't know why we call it the defense industry, is one of the most powerful oligarch clans in Europe, the, the Wallenberg clan, Wallenberg oh, yes. family, which no one in the Swedish dishonest uh, mainstream media talks about because the Wallenbergs sort of have a finger in every business pie in Sweden. But they're, they're rubbing their hands, I guess. Anyway, um, yes, it seems yeah, I mean, that, it's a very uh, sad, sad day I think it is a sad um, day and the compulsory civic duty, the national service, which was dismantled after the Cold War, uh, mm. when Swedes decided to uh, make cars and pop records instead, that's making a comeback. Um, mm. It's uh, all the wrong direction, Pele, isn't it? You know, well, exactly. And, and I said that the peace negotiators in Europe, I mean, the Hungarians are the ones striving for peace. And of course, in the Swedish debate, they're known as fascists. And it's fu funny thing is, fa I yes. thought fascism was associated with aggression. But here we have, and, right. the, and then a sort of lit Fico, the Slovakian guy, is also called a fascist in the Swedish media. I mean, it, they get it wrong right there. You know, how, how can you be a fascist? They're the only realistic politicians in the whole of Europe who see truth for what it is anyway. So, but it, just the fact that they call them fascists shows you how the Swedish debate is completely skewed by, by propaganda. I mean, it's a very disappointing moment for Swedes, and I, I, it's very difficult to have a conversation with Swedes, especially Swedish you males. See, you know, absolutely. I mean, you get these uh, apparatchiks like Robert Dalsjö. Are you familiar with him? Director yeah, yeah. of research yeah, yeah. at sure. the Swedish Defence Research Agency. 
uh, which yeah. is you know basically a, 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 a cog in the war machine is it not you know basically. why does it even exist you know uh, and yeah. he says this step is part of something much bigger completing sweden's long farewell to neutrality as if that's mm. something to be celebrated um yeah. you know something that began of course when it applied for eu membership yeah and uh, dalshro is one of those guys who went to king's college london and did his doctorate there and king's college is a hackery of, of of sort of deep state types you know and fan out all over europe including the swedish defense ministry who spent a long time in the us and, and and britain right and then and so i mean whose asset is he i mean if somebody went to russia for a couple of years and then came back and plumped into the swedish debate people say well that's just an asset of the russians anyway uh basil thank you very much for today's uh news roundup from northern europe and we will talk further tomorrow uh, thank you very much basil this is tnt radio okay TNT's Jeremy Nell, a gentleman in the UK who um, was falsely accused of rape and he spent four years behind bars. Now, John, this is a this is a tricky situation. You're oh, talking yeah. about a very a very serious crime here. The problem is is that the establishment sides with women, which is why he ended up in jail. Yeah. But he he didn't rape her. So I've got a question for you: What should happen to those women? Yeah, I, I felt very, very strongly, Jeremy, because I, and this is why, one reason why I quit the teaching profession, I had 20 years as a school teacher. Um, when this girl accused me, it, it was all vindictive, it was uh, kind of get you back for, for, you know, putting her in a place kind of thing, she couldn't accept discipline. Um, the retaliation, it cost me a year without pay as a school teacher, and I, I was on, you know, unemployed. And effectively lost, I lost my career in the community. I had to move to a different part of the country. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT. This is generally the view of people, oh, we don't know much about Assange. Well, you should know, because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder, and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonous. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London, or even assassinate him. No one who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This 
is a story of deception, lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words. And then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies, may it be a peace dove and no longer a bald eagle. If you think Assad is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker. I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise it wouldn't be deception. It sounds really good. It's it sounds like, real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Penn and Earth Taylor show on TNT Radio, Truth Radio. We've got uh, David Bell, who's a public health and internal physician with a PhD in population health. Uh, he's worked in international public health for 25 years. He's and the WHO program head of the Foundation for Innovative New Diagnostics in Geneva and director of global health technologies at the Global Food Good Fund near Seattle. He currently consults in biotech and global health and is a senior scholar at the Brownstone Institute. Welcome, David, to the show. Um, I was looking at, looking at some of your published material, and um, I loved the headline to the most recent one, talking about the, the fairy, tale, fairy tale of the pandemic narrative. Can we go back to two and three years now? We're in exciting times at the moment, but of course, we must never forget this per- enormous fraud that was perpetuated on the global public. Would you agree that it was an information fraud perpetuated on us? In many ways, yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tell us about it. There there is a virus which appears to have escaped from a lab, although we were told it was natural. uh, It's clear now that the people who wrote those letters, you know, early on in Lancet and so on, denigrating those who said it was from a lab, knew that they were probably wrong. Um, it's a virus that kills in most developed countries at an average age of about 80, um, which is typical for a, a mild, moderate respiratory virus. That's how old sick people die normally is a you know, virus takes them on. Um, and it was clear from very on, early on, uh, from the data from China that Working age people, students, children, etc., were minimally or affected or not affected at all. Um, with that in mind, they told us that everyone was at um, mortal risk. They shut down society, destroyed economies, um, put a lot of people unemployed, destroyed businesses, destroyed education for many people. Um, and, and the people who were pushing this 
most strongly um, ended up making literally hundreds of billions of dollars through the profits of the mRNA vaccines. So mm. yeah, it was a massively exaggerated situation. Um, we were deceived about the probable origins and the people involved um, did very well from a business point of view. Was it all, were our political leaders duped as the rest of us were, or were they sort of in on it? Uh, I'm sure that that varies from one to another. Um, there, there is there is a large sort of pandemic industrial complex out there centered around pharmaceutical companies and others that are looking to make a lot of money from very rare events that have relatively low mortality. Uh, because it, it's if you can mandate a vaccine, you can really you know, that that there is no liability on for the company. Then you're essentially printing money. Uh, I think uh, some political leaders probably knew very well what was going on. Others didn't understand you know, that people believe the rhetoric that was going. I think the media was very much bought in this, the mainstream media, and so even if a politician wanted to go against the flow, it was extremely difficult as they would mm. be pilloried in the media and every death and people die, every death would be pinned mm. on them. And that's almost an untenable position for a politician. Mm. Um, I'm in Sweden at the moment. And although I disagree with a lot of uh, Swedish mainstream stuff, they're, they're, they're equally propagandistic about the vaccine. Um, they seem to have done the right thing because we ended up with a lower mortality excess mm. than any other country. And as you know, and no, in and no, uh, I remember going to restaurants and I mean, living a life almost completely normally here. And I'd, I've never worn a mask, you know, so uh, and nothing was shut. So that was a good thing. Were the Swedes doing the right thing, do you think? Yeah, they were doing what everyone was told they should do in 2019. Um, WHO, the World Health Organization, put out their pandemic flu recommendations. They said, you know, quote, unquote, not under any circumstances, close borders, um, quarantine healthy individuals, do contact tracing, etc. Or, um, you know, that th they imagine you could close workplaces if it was extremely severe for seven to 10 days. And they point out after that, things will get worse. You make people poorer, you increase the rate of other diseases. So the Swedish just did what everyone in public health knew was the appropriate thing for a virus like that. Right. We'll just go into the headlines uh, and then we'll be back after a break. This is TNT Radio. What time is it? Now, TNT Radio News. You know what time it is? Yeah. Time to read some news. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. US President Joe Biden has told reporters that he is hopeful a ceasefire in Gaza will be reached by the end of the week. My hope is by next Monday we'll have a ceasefire. Riot police have clashed with angry farmers in Belgium as they surrounded the European Union headquarters in Brussels. And the Supreme Court in the Australian state of Queensland has ruled the government's COVID vaccine mandates put in place for police and ambulance workers were unlawful. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Pelinero's Taylor Show. We've got uh, David Bell with us, who's a health expert and entrepreneur who used to work for the WHO and who is telling us that uh, the uh, whole COVID thing was a massive hoax and a fraud. And it was driven by the profit motive of the pharmaceutical industry, whose 
bought bought out the the media and uh, duped the public and politicians. Um, are, are we clear of this now, or there's this thing called the pandemic treaty that's uh, up for up in the air? Um, is this are we going to see more of the same now? Are they going to go for a second helping of lockdowns and uh, fake dangers and lock us yeah, all up? The intent is is more than a second help, and the intent is to make this really a permanent way that we manage society. So there's people know the pandemic treaty. There's that. There's the amendments to the international health regulations. Um, there's a you know, WHO has a number of other things running. The G20, the World Bank, you know, the World Bank has its own fund for this. Uh, this is a huge movement. It's not just the WHO. It's not a treaty. It's um, people of in this industry have realized that you can make a lot of money, a lot of profits through this. And there are also already thousands of salaries just based on mm. people being scared of stat pandemics, so surveillance, um, response, etc. So we're building a system where we will be surveilling very heavily for viral variants, which are normal. This is nature. This is the way viruses happen. Um, and what the, the treaty and the amendments change is that they allow a single person at the WHO, who is it's an organisation very influenced by pharma, a single person can declare a threat and then countries will agree to lock down um, their countries, regions, and there's a 100-day vaccine programme from mRNA vaccine that will be rolled out to give people their freedom back. So... Essentially, we're building a self-perpetuating um, industry where it's run by mainly from public money, but it promotes huge profits and there's a, no liability for the pharma companies involved. So it, they have every reason to push this very strongly. They have a war chest from COVID of hundreds of billions of dollars to do so. But it, it's, it's built on a, a fallacy that pandemics are an existential threat increasing exponentially they use these words in their reports and their own data shows that this is not the case that these are quite rare events and overall have a very low mortality let me just um i summarize this my, my state of knowledge which is that i mean i i followed it very closely but i didn't follow the vaccine debate very closely so i'll, I'll ask you about that the lockdowns the closure of schools made people depressed, couldn't see their doctors and so on. So that raised mortality in itself. All unnecessary. Masks don't work. All that I understand. Um, and so we, we all this was unnecessary from a strict health point of view. And we got depressed and we couldn't say goodbye to our loved ones when they were, were dying. And then ivermectin and vitamin D and other cheap solutions were completely destroyed by the mainstream media. That I understand as well. And then we've got this vaccine, which is a killer in itself, right? Because of this uh, this protein that creates clots and things in our bodies and i've seen these videos of people with these long sort of rubbery white mm. things coming out of their veins what i mean but what i don't understand is i mean the critical question for me about the vaccine is surely it's, uh, the, there's been excess mortality in many countries but not on all countries um, sweden and new zealand and mm. denmark haven't had excess mortality even though they've had a high vaccine uptake so in sweden actually the vaccine issue is not not a very hot one because they didn't feel that they're dying from it um, and then the other thing is, couldn't some of the excess mortality, if it, if it is the case, be uh, as a result of the long COVID? How can you isolate the factors and make sure that it's the vaccine? What, what scientific test is there for that? 
Yeah, so I think there's many factors involved. We, we knew that lockdowns would increase mortality. I mean, if you stop doing chemotherapy, you know, I think in the UK, 40% of chemotherapy patients had the chemotherapy stopped. Of course, that increases mortality. If you stop screening for chest pain, you increase mortality. If you increase poverty in poor countries, you increase infant mortality, adult mortality. So a lot of it's due to the lockdowns, the response, and WHO knew that that would happen and they published stuff on this even early in the pandemic. Um, there's evidence, good evidence with the vaccine that there is a big difference from one batch to another. So it's quite possible that some batches were quite safe and some batches were quite unsafe. Mm. Um, and, and there's also, we know now, significant levels of DNA in, you know, in these RNA vaccines, much more than was originally disclosed. This, so there, there are a lot of, um, and yeah, you know, some some people will be fine with a vaccine, some people will not, as with any medication. So I think it's hard to pin a single cause as you know, mm. we do see an increase in mortality. Um, mm. the, as far as long COVID goes, there are very good studies that look at um, you know, who was actually positive. So you can do that with mm. serology and then comparing long COVID uh, from one group you know, that definitely had COVID to those that didn't. And there's not a lot of difference. So a lot of long COVID symptoms are probably related to lockdowns and the psychology of that, et cetera. Um, the, it tends to be particularly young adults who are, and middle-aged adults who are, have excess mortality now, which doesn't really fit with a post-viral syndrome. So uh, I think, you know, it's, it's not out of the question that certainly long COVID exists as in, mm. you know, chronic disease, chronic outcomes from other viruses such as flu exist as well in some yeah. people. It appears to wear off after about six months, so it's not a very long-term illness. There's no good evidence um, that it is killing people in the studies that have looked at this. Right. No, because I'm just, I, I want to nail down. I, I wish somebody, the, mm. the trouble is, I mean, I, I, I spend some time, I haven't spent as much time as I do on other issues. I mean, life is finite. But I just will, wish somebody could provide a killer statistic either way that either disproved or proved the theory. I mean, I, I'm open-minded. I want to go with the science, not the fake science. And I know, so, I mean, what I'm saying is the Vax companies could be all wrong about the lockdowns and the masks and the ivermectin and the long COVID, but they could still be right about the efficiency of the vaccine. And us in the sort of dissident community or whatever you want to call it, we should yeah. always try strive for the truth. So even if it means ret ret retreating from some of the more extreme claims, I have no problem with that, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And your, your quote of Sweden having a high vaccination rate, low mortality is is true. And, you know, it, it fits with, I think, you know, variation, the quality of vaccine batches, etc. But it also illustrates that, you know, I mean, the, the vaccines that the Swedes had, we don't know, you know, we really don't know, we know yeah. very little about one batch and another. It may be that there's very little active ingredient as well. We really don't know. Um, yeah, David, one sorry, of the things we, that is... Yeah. We got we got to wind up. Uh, I'd love to talk okay. to you longer, but just uh, summarize. What are the next steps on this vaccine treaty thing? Uh, what should we look out for, and what should we protest against? Uh, give me a few sentences. Yeah, so they're talking about thirty-one billion dollars put it going into this. It's about three, you know, ten times what we spend on disease like malaria. This is a they're, they're doing this for a, a tiny um, threat. Um, a rip of rare diseases, and we need to sort of pause and stop the urgency here, stop the panic, and just 
sit back and do this in a rational way like we do for other public health problems and not be influenced Good. by the profit that is going with it. Uh, thank you. So we look, we've got to calm down, look at these things rationally and not be yeah. panicked and not be subjected to the, the, the to sort of fraudulent or hoax prone media and uh, and pharma industry with their own financial interests pushing hard. That's a good way to end. And uh, uh, David Bell, health expert and former WHO uh, executive, thank you very much for being on the show. This is TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. If you tuned into one of the three major cable networks on Saturday night at 7 p.m. when the polls closed in South Carolina to see how long it would take for Donald Trump to be declared the winner, well, let's just say you better have been on time. The polls have now closed at 7 p.m. We are waiting to see whether we will have a call in one direction or another or a too early to call. That has been the case in a few of the contests we've had. And as you can see there, and I'm learning this as I see it on your screen myself, we do have a call. We have projected a winner at polls closing. That was MSNBC, CNN was even faster in calling the race. Polling places are about to close in South Carolina. Five seconds left in the GOP presidential primary fight between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And right now, we can make a major projection. CNN projects that Donald Trump will win the South Carolina Republican primary, defeating former South Carolina governor Nikki Haley in her home state. And Fox News was just as quick. It is 7 p.m. here on the East Coast and the polls are officially closed in the state of South Carolina. Good evening, I'm Brett Baer. And good evening, everybody. I'm Martha McCallum, live here at Fox News headquarters in New York for our special coverage of the South Carolina Republican primary. And the Fox News decision desk can now project that former President Donald Trump will win the state's GOP primary. Yes, all in all, good night for Trump, very bad night for Nikki Haley in her own home state. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Asthma is a growing problem, especially among children. Asthma affects the quality of life for millions like me every single day. My name is Chris Draft, and I have asthma. And I've spent more than a decade in the NFL tackling asthma on and off the field. Join me and the EPA in helping people control their asthma. Asthma is a lung condition that can be controlled through medication and by avoiding things that can make it worse. Three steps are the solution to controlling asthma. Step one, talk to a doctor. Step two, make a plan. And step three, get rid of things that can make it worse. Asthma can be tackled. For more information on asthma, log on to epa.gov asthma. From the Cold War to propaganda and the deep state. Helen Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to... PNT on TNT, where truth resides. Um, we've got a fantastic guest with us today, Lieutenant Colonel or Lieutenant Colonel, as you call it in America, um, Jeffrey Sachs, who was in Desert Storm in the 90s and is retired now and is on a project or a quest to rediscover what makes America great. I think you've, uh, you're engaged in something called the Great Rediscovery and you've written something called The Decline and Decay of the US Constitutional Order, which sounds very interesting. Uh, Jeffrey, tell us about what this uh, this project of the Great Rediscovery. What are you trying to rediscover about America? Yeah, well, first, it's great to be with you and your listeners this morning. Um, so the book is is basically it's a premise of uh, American exceptionalism is the great idea. You know, we've lasted for over two hundred forty plus years, and the system is 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 what it is, and, and it's lasted for this long. Uh, but we are in a pivotal point. Twenty twenty four is the most pivotal 
year and it's most pivotal election that we've ever been in. And I really believe that. But the book is is mainly written for the average average citizen. And it gets into our political models. It gets into everything in our constitutional republic stands for political models, separation of powers, rule of law, our election systems, public leadership. What, what should the voting electorate actually expect uh, out of their public leaders? Um, and, and it compares that to authoritarian regimes. It compares it to regimes like China and Russia. Um, so it gets into each each and every one of those areas and discusses how we're becoming slowly um, something that we don't really want to uh, to be. Um, and it's 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 really concerning. I talked to a lot of people here in Virginia uh, where I live. Um, it's, it's very, very concerning um, as we head into this new election year. What do they feel in America's I mean, what is the need for your book? Where is America heading otherwise into issues that are exactly the opposite of the things that you're advocating? Yeah. So if we look at what's going on in the world and, and you know, if you live under a rock, um, you don't know what's going on. Right. So if you look at everything from Middle East uh, with Israel um, and Palestine and, the, and Hamas, uh, horrific attacks on October 7th. If you look at Eastern Europe and you look at Russia and Ukrainian situation and you look at what China is doing, not just within the Indo-Pacific uh, area, but what through their Belt and Road Initiative, the China Dream, what their what their global um, kind of plan, strategic plan is. Uh, and then you look at here in America and you see what's going on, um, not just, uh, you know, domestic politics, obviously, but between the two leading candidates. Uh, you have an impeachment inquiry in the House of Representatives right now of the current president. You have an, uh, a former president who's the leading candidate for the Republican Party that's under indictment. Um, and, and you look at what, what's going on in our southern border. Everything is just pouring through our southern border. And it looks like it's a design invasion. People in, in this country are really focused on that immigration um, issue at the southern border. Um, as, a, as a top issue. Um, and you just look at our national debt. Um, so we have a lot of things that we got to clean up here at, at the house. Got to clean up our own house first. Um, yeah. So that's Well, it concerning. seems to me, I mean, why, why are you worrying about what's going on in Ukraine 10,000 miles away and their border? I mean, to me, it's essentially a civil war between two very close Slavic nations and who's going to be top dog. Uh, when you, your own country has, I mean, you should worry about your border before you worry about anyone else's, surely. Well, that's what I'm advocating for. Absolutely. We got to clean up our own house first. Um, listen, I'm a firm, firm advocate. If, if President Trump was in there, Russia and the Ukraine stuff would never have happened. I really firm believe that because it is, I do really believe in the peace through strength uh, mentality, but we got to clean up the, the immigration at our Southern border. It's just pouring out. It's just, we have 13 million illegal, um, you know, migrants that are in this country. Um, and it's just affecting our economy. It's affecting, uh, you know, uh, our populations, uh, our crime rates are up, um, and so yeah, absolutely, we got to we got to clean this up. We don't even know who's coming through our through our uh, southern border. I, I mean, you've got to tell me because I, here I am sitting in Europe, and I was talking to my yeah. news producer who's sitting in um, Brighton in in the UK, and yeah. here we are talking about what's going on in the world. But I mean, the, nothing beats actually being on the spot, right? So, because we say, what, what does America look like? Because if you listen to Tucker Carlson, you think everyone is a zombie and on fentanyl, and then you'll see some Hollywood show showing the grassy lawns of some suburb you know america's such a big country does it look more or less like the same i mean we're trying to get a, an accurate picture of what the country looks like minus all the propaganda when you walk around in virginia or drive around and you visit your usual places do you see a decline a sort of more is america more dirty more poor more lacking in uh, self-confidence than a few years ago or is it well, just more or yeah. less the same no, I appreciate that question. It is a great question. And, and listen, I've traveled to the UK several times and I talk to a lot of folks while I'm over there as well. 
But listen, that's why I say we're not just in a constitutional decline. We're in a social and a moral one, too. If you just look at social media and what it's done, you know, culturally and, culturally and socially to our children, that's why I'm a firm believer I'm, I'm returning civics to our uh, education system, um, teaching that the next generation, because it really is about our youth. Um, do we walk around or are things more more important? No, we have a lot of things. But we have a lot of issues. And if you look at this this past administration, what has what have we really accomplished over over the last uh, three and a half years? Uh, there's not a lot of winning going on. Um, we, you know, as far as um, our economy, you look at our national debt. You look at everything that we just keep borrowing money and spending money. Um, those kind of things, and we're getting into uh, all these uh, foreign wars. And uh, you know, again, we just touched on the border. But yes, we are in a in a social, moral, and uh, constitutional decline. I, I, I think we got to get back to what those American principles are, those values of you know freedom, mm-hmm. liberty, and and no, there's not a lot of trust in our government right now. Well, so what, what I mean was when I, when I let's say I'm quite interested in the sort of transgender issue. I mean how this has been weaponized and it's allegedly destroying our universities, and you can't say that biological sex is a reality. It so happens that my girlfriend is studying uh, as a mature student at a university in Sweden. She's studying psychology, and I have an, keep an eye on which she's read her books. And actually, I mean, apart from one course in four years, which is politically correct, her course is pretty scientific, you know. So what us journalists have to be aware of is believing the hype. I mean, it, it's right that we focus on some stories to make a case and isolate them, but we must just look at the whole picture as well. So I just wondered if I went to America now and traveled around, would I see... Uh, a sense of other other supermarkets emptier or whatever, or more crime or people complaining about, I mean, Americans more depressed and and more less pro-American than they used to be or less confident about America. Do you find that in your discussions with people? I mean, you travel around a lot and I think in certain, yeah, I think in certain areas you'll, you'll have those in the big cities that are run, unfortunately, by Democratic mayors. You can look at San Francisco, Chicago, although Chicago is starting to seem like it's coming around because of the legal immigrant um, um, problem, right? They're going into all these cities and and you got all these crime rates and and folks, hardworking blue collar people see folks uh, just get hand me outs when they come across the border. You use your cell phone, you get to go wherever you want, you get to do all these different things. They're like, hey, well, we're, we're living here. And so they see that, so it's growing frustration. But I think there's certain pockets of those areas. But listen, I think 2024 is going to be exciting. You mentioned the transgender. I, I do know Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines is a, a good friend of mine. Um, and and so that that obviously is, is an issue too. But it's not about you know being against transgender. It's, it's about supporting women. Um, and and we've got to get back to that. Yeah. So, but, but America seems to be, I mean, I don't know what the ideal America was. I mean, a lot of us outside America love America in a way, but we idealize it in a way. I mean, maybe the 1960s and Kennedy or something when America was full of taller people. I mean, when they, when you came and saved us in Europe, you were literally a head taller than the rest of us. And now apparently you're shorter and fatter, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that, my friend. I'm training for an Ironman in September, so I don't okay. know about that. I'm kind of leaning me but, here. But, 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 no, uh, but, but, um, you, you, you are, but anyway, so we, we, we're all worshipping. I yeah. mean, I think we're, a lot of us like America, even though we can be critical of it. It's a love. No, it's a love, but you can be critical of your friends. That's okay. But I mean, it, it, you're, you're quite polarized in now in a, in a way that you didn't seem to be before. Is that right? I mean, people hate well, each other. I think on the basis- gets, yeah, I think it gets back to leadership and what is leadership and what is it supposed to look like? What were our founders principles of this great constitutional republic supposed to be? And that's why I think that we need good leaders. We need good people, servant leaders in Congress that are serving the interests of the people, not themselves. Mm. 
And so I, I, you know, we don't get into politics. We shouldn't get into politics. I, I'll, I'll reframe that. We shouldn't get into politics for self-interest. Like we're going to boast our, uh, you know, our pockets and, and with, you know, outside interests and all these different things. No, I'm just going to go serve the people and what, what they want uh, uh, and expect of me. And I think that's what we got to get back to. Those are those original principles, principles. Um, term limits is a big, big issue in our country too. Um, and I'm a firm believer of term limits as well. Well, uh, yeah, I'll pick you up on that about the Congress. I mean, it's, um, you know, you, your country, uh, uh, world's oldest republic and one of the world's oldest democracies, 350 million people. And yet you turn out 100 senators and some people I know or have had on my show been on Capitol Hill. And so these people know really nothing. And this is, I mean, I'm mainly concerned about foreign policy. You can have your own country. What, what you do domestically is your problem or your issues. But it, obviously what America does affects us all. So you can be very open to lobbying and disinformation from all sorts. There are lots of foreign actors. Some of your allies, like Israel and Britain and Europe, will try and push you in a certain way and rely on the fact that you don't seem to know what's going on. How how can you do something? And you're uh, they, on the take, many politicians. How can you create a better class of of congressmen? You know, I mean, you've got the talent there. Why are they not becoming? Well, I think a part of the reason is a lot of good people don't get into politics because of all the polarization, as you mentioned. You know, good people get in there. They have they open up the Pandora's box. You know, that's why I believe that 2024 and beyond, moving forward, you know, we're going to have to have folks with with political moral courage. They they just get in the arena and and want to serve this country and, and advance their cause. Right, leader. You talked mentioned the 60s. Right, first to the moon. Like the innovation, leading in innovation, leading in you know economically. Um, and so that's what we got to get back to. Uh, but we need folks with courage to do that. And a lot of good people don't run or run. So you end up, yes, you end up with a, a, a lot of folks that are in uh, serving positions um, and they're there for years and years and years and years and years. Um, and then they begin, they become more susceptible to, you know, outside interests and, and the DC swamp as, as I'm sure everybody has heard. Has heard. Uh, so yeah, we've got, we've got to clean that up. Do you think this kind of moral regeneration is part of Trump's plan? Or are you trying to make it part of that plan? I mean, yeah, no, I, I think I think it's a, you know, I often wonder what was what a second term looked like under Trump. Had he won in twenty twenty, um, but we'll, we'll we'll certainly see. Um, listen, we got we. I wouldn't say it was more. It's just cleaning up the bureaucracy. I think there's too much bureaucracy in our government. Um, a lot of policymakers, a lot of unelected folks that that think that they want to just institute their their will on things. I think that certainly is as a part of the plan, um, but. Yeah, we have we have to again. It goes back to people um, serving the people's interests over their self interests. Your your military. Do you have a lot of contacts still in the military? I mean, what do they think about the election of twenty twenty? Do they think it's stolen? I mean, it, it, is there a sort of military view on these things? A consensus. Well, I, I, yeah, I think I think in the military, um, the bottom line with the military is we got to be apolitical. We got to get out of politics. The military is not. That's not. That's not what we're supposed to be. Um, we're focused on readiness. We're focusing on, uh, you know, obviously our adversaries uh, uh, get a vote in this and uh, they're advancing and we have to we have to overmatch that. We have to be prepared. And so there's a big focus on readiness, a big focus on people. We talk about socially and culturally. Um, we see it in our own country is, again, service. Um, what does service mm. look like? We've got to have we got to serve our military. Uh, and mm. but it, we can't be political about it in the military. We're there to serve the president of the United States. Uh, we're there to carry out our, you know, uh, the mission um, as we see fit. Um, mm. But that's what we got to focus on. You know, we, we don't get a vote in the, in the politics stuff. Uh, we should be apolitical. Mm. Mm. 
Do you think, um, well, I mean, it's interesting because you were serving, you went to, in, you were in Desert Storm. Would you say that was the highlight of your military career? Well, I was in Operation Iraqi Freedom 3 um, in 2005. Uh, unfortunately, I was oh, only right, like okay. five years when Desert Storm happened. But right, okay, I was, yeah, yeah, I, I, missed, I, I mixed them Iraq, up. Yeah. yeah, no, I was in yeah. Operation Iraqi Freedom 3 uh, in 2005 in Iraq and then Afghanistan in 2011. Um, and I, I will tell you, serving uh, my country uh, over the last 20 years uh, in the Army has been the highlight um, of that period of my life. Um, mm-hmm. I'm serving at a very young age and uh, basically in charge of all these these young, young uh, Americans that want to serve as well, um, leading them in combat. Um, probably was the highlight of my uh, life to this to this point. Um, mm. But again, I wasn't expecting to go to Iraq when I when I got my commission either. So things happen around the world to get a vote. Um, but mm. the president uh, issues an order and we go and, and we, we follow it. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. what we really. We, so I mean, do, you, do you allow yourself a view on where I mean, America, Trump is talking about pulling out of NATO. I don't know if that's actually going to happen if he's just getting people. But I mean, U.S. has 800 bases around the world. And you've got this debt of thirty-three trillion dollars. Yeah. What how, are you sympathetic to the idea that America has to pull back some of those bases just to save money? Uh, I wouldn't say it's about. I think what what President Trump is trying to say is like, hey, you know, you guys are relying on America to do a lot of different things, not just in Europe, but a lot of uh, look at the whole global landscape. Uh, but you got to pay your fair share. You got to you got to you got to mm-hmm. pony up a little bit because America, you know, um, obviously we have to get back to America first, and I'm America first guy. Like, let's. Mm. let's focus on us. Let's get this national debt down. Let's stop spending money more than we have. Um, and, and focus on, again, we have a problem at the Southern border, but nobody wants to talk about, but we want to send money to other, other areas. But yeah, we have in our own country, uh, some issues. So we got to clean up our own house first. Um, uh, but I don't, I'm not necessarily pulling back all these bases. I think his, his main point is that, Hey, you got to pay your fair share. Um, and he mm. did that with NATO. We saw that. We saw that on mm. the last term of, of the Trump administration, they got to pay their, mm. their fair share. And that's what it's about. Do you think some of these illegal immigrants are are sort of more or less soldiers or activists or terrorists? I mean, do you have is there any proof of that? The, so the same I, debate in Sweden a few years ago, but it was inconclusive. But you say what you've heard, yeah? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Europe has definitely seen this. Uh, absolutely, they have. Um, but what we're seeing on the southern border is absolutely uh, correct. Um, I think there's clear evidence there that these are military age males. I think it's a, a design invasion. Um, I think we got to clean it up. I think we got to stop it. We got to stop the uh, close up the border. We got to build the border wall, and we got to yes, we got to eventually after all that's being taken care of first, then we can get to immigration reform. What did that? What does that look like? But right now, it's, it's more like we got to get out of the habit of processing folks in the country and and start betting folks because we don't know there's folks that are you know could be on the terrorist watch list. So yeah, absolutely. Well, we, we've got to wind up now, but there wasn't there some talk yeah. about to just fi- summarize. So what, what are your next steps? Are, are you on a sort of a tour to make America great again? And, and uh, we got, tell us about a minute or something, what's going on in yeah, terms no, of so personal l- life. Listen, I'm supporting, I'm supporting the, those hard, hard uh, candidates that are working in Congress right now in 2024. It's going to be pivotal. So we're going to be focusing on that. And then, yeah, we're, uh, we're starting up another project, uh, another book. But we got to continue getting the message out, not just domestically, but you know, overseas as well. And I'd love to come over to the UK and talk to my uh, brothers and sisters over there. Great. Well, uh, Jeff Sachs, a a lieutenant colonel, retired, who is now an entrepreneur and writer and uh, America First uh, champion. Thank you very much. Incredibly interesting and good luck with your endeavors. This is uh, the Taylor Show on the TNT Radio. Radio.